So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another brand new group of professionals. And today we are talking about surgery, but also we are talking about emotional recovery. Now, like a lot of people, this wasn't something I ever really thought about until I had to face it myself. In March 2022, I had the first of two surgeries to hopefully cure a condition that I'd had, although I didn't know what it was for 15 years. And it exposed me to a lot, pain, panic attacks, poor mental health, all while trying to carry on with work and paint on a smile for the rest of the world. I'm in a much better place now, but it's been an experience that has really made me think, and it made me realize how little we really know if we haven't been through something ourselves. So I thought it was an important topic for Blended because although we might not talk about it, experiences like this are happening to a lot more people than we might realize. So welcome to Richard, LaMondre, Dan, and Melissa to the show. And they are gonna share their experiences and advise with us today. So thank you all for joining us. Let's start with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Melissa, I'm gonna start with you. Yes, uh, my name's Melissa. I identify as a female, she or her. I am a speaker, board member, travel a lot, um, but also I have the podcast, Impact of AI and Data, where I interview women only and a founding member of the Women Leaders in Data and Artificial Intelligence. Thank you, Melissa. I'm super excited for you to be here. And uh, I can't wait to hear your story and uh, share some of your perspectives. Lamondre, thanks for joining us on Blended. Tell us who oh. you are, what you do, and how you identify. It is a pleasure being here. My name is Lamondre Pugh. I am a black man uh, with a bald head and a full beard. Uh, I am uh, I am a speaker. Um, I am an entrepreneur. I run a company called Lamondre Pugh Unlimited, and I'm also uh, the CEO of Billion Strong, which is a global identity organization for people with disabilities. Um, and uh, I am. I am crazy about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so I've dedicated my life to that. And so uh, that's who I am. That's what I do. I live in Columbia, South Carolina, in the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful center of the state. So thank you for having me. And it's an honor to be with awesome. you. Awesome. Awesome. And I think offline, I'd like to connect with you about uh, Blended Pledge as well. So let's keep that in the back of our minds and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Dan, you're up next. Tell us who you are and what you do. How you identify? Hey, Sarah. My name is uh, Dan Vegan. I'm the founder of High Performance Logistics Sales, a logistics sales training company for uh, top reps in the industry. And I identify as him. I'm a husband, father, author, coach, and uh, love snowmobiling. My passion is snowmobiling. I love that. And we only got enough snow for a couple of weeks this year. So, <laughs> oh, I didn't even get out riding this year, unfortunately. But um, hopefully, I soon. just well, I just finished my snowmobile. It, I had it. I had <laughs> then I get to stare at it all summer before snow hits again. It's going to be very spectacular. Going to be awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And last but absolutely not least, Richard. Hey everyone, my name is Richard Perry, VP of Strategic Accounts at Intelligent Audit. I live in the beautiful city of Memphis, Tennessee, uh, married to my beautiful wife, April. I have two adult children, one teenage child. We are on the other end of it. We're so excited. And um, I'm a lover of all things transportation and sneakers. I would probably sell my soul, my soul for a good pair of shoes. 
Wow. And is it just Nike or what's what's your best brand? We like them all. I, you know, my favorites, I'll be honest, my Gucci's are probably my favorite. I, I got those as a uh, present from our CEO last year. I had an incredible year, even after my father passing away. And uh, it was just a really happy gift. You know, I like sneakers. And at the end of the year, I got a box of sneakers and from Gucci. I mean, how could you be upset about that? Absolutely. I want a pair of sneakers from Gucci. Do you think you could put a good word in? Anyways. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Are those are so... sneakers you never wear that just stay on the shelf. Yeah, right. You no, put... they come out quite a bit. They come out quite a oh, bit. Really? I, like to sh- I like to show off a little bit. I'm I'm very loud with my shoes and everything. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> funny because go. I'm not even a, a sneaker head, but I definitely wanted some Gucci's, okay? <laughs> <laughs> You've got us all pining for your Gucci sneakers. All right. So this episode is about our personal journeys um, in emotional recovery from a variety of different standpoints. Um, I know some of us have been through um, some challenges over the last year. Some of it, the emotional recovery has come from, you know, a variety of different places. And I think this is really that episode where we want to share those stories. We want to talk about what that looks like. And I think it's important because at the end of the day, we're each going through different things. And unless we share what that looks like and how it affects us individually and what emotional recovery looks like for us as individuals, then people can really understand how they can support others in emotional recovery, especially in the workplace. I think it's really important that, you know, we spend a ton of time you know, in our workplace or with our peers and our colleagues and things like that. But not always do they know how to support us or even ask the right questions or say the right things. And I think this is the episode where we want to do that. Now, I'm going to kick it off with my journey um, just so we can set the tone and I can share my story. And then I think we're going to go into everybody else's story and talk a little bit about what that's looked like and how it's changed your lives as well. So, I have um, I have an autoimmune disease called lipedema. Now it affects 11% of women worldwide, but most people have never even heard of it. And I have been struggling with it for 15 years. What it is, is you've probably seen a woman with it and it's a shelf on your ankle and they cannot, for some reason, no matter what they do through food and diet or exercise, cannot lose the weight or lose that shelf on their ankle. And for the past 15 years, I've gone to several different uh, specialists. So I went to a vein doctor that said that if I just ran, I wouldn't have fat legs. I went to a neurosurgeon that was like, if you ever get pregnant, you're going to have tree stump legs for the rest of your life. Didn't stop me from having kids. I didn't have kids, but that was a, that's a whole different discussion. Um, I went to a cardiologist that said, if I watched what I put in my mouth um, and I lost 10 pounds, I would be happy. And then I went to another specialist who sent me to an MRI to see if they could find any water on my thighs because they thought they all thought it was water retention. They didn't know what it was. And there was no water. Um, And because I've been a catcher for 32 years, he actually wanted to use my x-rays to show his students what a perfectly muscled thigh looked like. But from the outside, it didn't look like a perfectly muscled thigh because it looked like I had just gained a bunch of weight and I had really big thighs. 
So anyways, fast forward, August 2021, I was in the UK and my cousin was watching Love Island UK. And she said, you need to go and check out Shauna Phillips and check out her YouTube channel. I think you have what she has. And that's when I found out about lipedema on YouTube after seeing this woman on Love Island UK. I mean, it's so random, so crazy. Um, I did the research. I found a guy in California and Dr. Amron out of the Roxbury Institute. And I booked both of my appointments within a month of finding out what it was that I had after I had had a consult with him and like get, getting the diagnosis and things like that. And so I had two surgeries. I had one in March and one in September. And I went into the surgery in March, not really knowing what to expect. And I was ready to be back to work like the next Tuesday, considering I had to fly across country after I had surgery. And um, I was fine for the first couple of days. But the moment I did Thoughts and Coffee the Tuesday after my surgery, I had a panic attack the whole way through the episode. And my panic attacks came back after 11 years. And I thought I had gotten rid of them. And so the emotional journey and the emotional recovery from that first surgery hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's still taking me some time to work through some of those panic attacks and some of the things that have come up for me after that first surgery. And so I share with you that story to set the tone and just to give you an idea of what the last 12 months have looked like for me. And from an emotional recovery standpoint, what I've been going through behind the scenes, a lot of people see me on screen and, you know, I put on that brave face. Um, but there's sometimes that I'm working my way through a panic attack. And so just wanted to set the tone and sort of share my story. I don't know if any of you have any questions for me after I've shared that with you, but I'd like to go into um, some of your stories as well. Who would like to share first? Sure, I'll go. Um, <clears throat> that, you know, everything happens for a reason, reason right, Sarah? And, um, you know, right place, right time. Uh, YouTube's an amazing thing. <laughs> it really is. You can you can Google almost anything on YouTube and find out. So I'm, I'm happy that you found out what it was and didn't have to go through another couple of years of trying to research and figure it out. Because um, one thing I can tell you on my journey is um, I started asking the question, how do you know? Mm -hmm. Because um, so actually a year and a year ago, year and a month ago, almost, um, I got diagnosed with throat cancer. I had a uh, T3, uh, stage three T4 tumor in my neck. It was over nine and a half centimeters long. It started in my soft palate, went into my ingestion tube, into my larynx and voice box, and then across and down my neck um, into my into my esophagus. And um, originally, I thought it was toothache. I thought I got a cavity or something and we were about to go to Dominican and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is have a toothache in the Dominican or like, you know, a cavity start come. So I went to the dentist and he says, no, 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 it's not a cavity. It's actually you grind your teeth. So got a mouth guard fitted and this is what it was going to stop. And that whole time I was, I was 205 pounds. Um, I was snoring. I had sleep apnea, um, all these different things. It ended up just being the tumor closing my throat. Um, so fast forward, we get back, uh, still remember like it was yesterday walking into the ears, nose and throat specialist and, uh, the ENT goes, so, you know, I think, I think you guys know what this is. And my wife and I were like, no, we actually don't like, I think it's a toothache. I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know what's going on. He says, no, you, you've got oral pharynx cancer. 
Um, and your life kind of just stops in a split second for me anyways. And, and everybody's journey is different. Um, since then 35 rounds of radiation, three rounds of chemo, um, completely destroyed my saliva glands. I now I'm sipping water to act as saliva. Um, for me, I had, I had a lot of complications with recovery. Um, the, the treatment was actually the easy part, um, you know, getting your neck burned to the point where you can't even lie down on it, where it's blistering and everything. Um, since recovery, I've, I've been hospitalized with pneumonia five times. I've had a DKA because I'm a type one diabetic. Um, I've had a serious um, what radio, radio, radiated infection where it was actually, that's what I just got taken out today was my pick line and uh, line going to my heart because I've been on antibiotics for six weeks, every eight hours. Um, and finally, it's starting to wean. But I can tell you um, from an emotional standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, you know, you, you get hit with a life-threatening disease like this, a life-threatening illness. And, you know, you, you, your perspective changes on a lot of things, including what you want to accomplish in life. And for me, the emotional part was really this was saying, okay, we are going to kill it. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're, you know, we, my wife and I wrote a whole list of places we want to go visit because I don't want to be, you know, 70 years old and can't do things I want to do. Like I want to go mountain riding. We want to go do all these things. We want to go all these nice places. Um, and it's like, okay, let's start doing, let's start living life. Um, but your body can't keep up and, you know, you go up a flight of stairs and you have to sleep for two and a half hours just from walking up a flight of stairs and the, what the radiation and chemo, just how it ravages your body. Um, for me, that's been the biggest part, um, became depressed on anti-anxiety medication. Um, I had a, a botched surgery on my G-tube. So now I have post-traumatic stress disorder going near any uh, operating room. Like mm. any operating room, I just like everything starts shaking. I start fidgeting. I start sweating profusely, mm. um, you know, terrified to get on that bench. That's like kind of this big. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it's um, the journey. It's it's lights two roads, as I call it, you know, and you have the journey that you went on. You have the journey that I went on. I mean, you have the, our caretakers and their journey that they went on. Right. And how their mental health is, you, mm -hmm. you know, like it's um, especially when it's loved ones, mm -hmm. you know, it's um, it's a very tough, tough thing to go through. And um, the recovery part of it and everything, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to say my inner circles tightened up. Um, I've realized that some friends just they don't know what to say, so they don't say anything at all. And I don't know if you you recognize that when mm -hmm. when you were going through your, going through your trauma, but, um, you know, so it, it's understanding people and who they are and understanding that not everybody's going to act the same way you are. You know, yeah. at first I thought it was, um, oh, well, are they really a friend? They haven't called me in so long and they haven't asked how I am, but it's just the way people deal with it. Right. People deal yeah. with, with trauma and stress differently. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the emotional things that I've been through, I'm, I'm probably going to be scarred for life. I yeah. can tell you, even right now, I, I don't sleep very well. Every time I feel my neck, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that a new spot? And it's just, and, and right. you know, I'm, I'm in therapy for it and stuff and um, trying to get through it. And it's, uh, it's, it's everything, right? So I've been, I've been off work 
for over a year. And so now it's the thoughts of going back into work. Yeah. How long is it going to take me to build my business to where it was? You know, where are we as a family? Where are we here? Where are we here? And, it, and all these thoughts start entering yeah. your head. And it's like, how do you calm the chaos is, is, yeah. is what I'm starting to ask a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think, you know, thank you for sharing that story. I think we're going to dive a little bit deeper into recovery and how people can support, you know, and a lot of people have, you know, different, different um, capabilities themselves of mm -hmm. how far they can go, how far they can push themselves um, and I think also we all sort of get caught up in comparison. Oh, well, you know, yes. I've got some mental health issues, but I didn't go through what they went through. So like, I can't really say anything. And that storyline also has to stop. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more as well, uh, because I think yeah. that's really something that goes through a lot of people's minds. So thank you. I'm going to pause. I think again. everybody. Yeah, I think everybody. I think everybody does the they're really good at that. And I'm not so good at it. Mm -hmm. Comparison, but, but on, on multiple levels, right. Yeah. You, you think about salespeople, oh, they're really good at selling. I'm not, well, they've been in the business for five years. You've been in the business yeah. for two months. Yeah. Right. And yeah. It, it, it's on every level. Yeah. And so thank you for, <clears throat> for sharing that, but I'm going to pause you there. Cause we're going to get into a little bit more of that, that recovery conversation. <clears throat> Lamandre, do you want to, do you want to share your story? Absolutely. Um, so I have spinal muscular atrophy. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with that, spinal muscular atrophy is a progressive neurological disorder. Um, in a nutshell, my body does not produce a specific protein that's necessary for healthy muscle growth. Um, so the result is I'm a full-time power wheelchair user. Um, I can't feed myself. I can't bathe myself. Um, any activity of daily living, I need help with. In other words, someone has to do something, has to do it for me. Uh, the thing that I can do is run my mouth and move like two <laughs> fingers on my right hand. And my life is dope. It, it's, it's, I, I live an incredible life. I, I honestly do. Now, in terms of, um, in terms of the topic, the, the, the recovery, um, I have had a number of, of surgeries, um, mm -hmm. in my life. Um, the biggest was probably total spinal fusion and I had rods put in my spine, uh, because one of the results of spinal muscular atrophy is severe scoliosis. Um, and at one point my rib cage was in my pelvis. My body was that curved. And obviously with that being the case, that meant my breathing was compromised. That meant, um, you know, my growth was compromised. So many things were being compromised by this severe curvature in my spine. Um, and so my surgeries took place a very long time ago. However, the recovery, um, the recovery has, has, uh, has, has taken a very, a very long time. And honestly, more over than the physical aspects of it, it's really the mental um, aspects of it, the, the, the traumas associated with that. And, I will tell you, so when I had my surgery, I was 15. And so that's how long ago uh, that was. Um, and um, the thing with spinal muscular atrophy, if you don't use those muscles, you truly lose them. And so I wasn't able to walk before the surgery, but I could use both of my hands. I could feed myself. I could do all those things myself. 
I used to play guitar and piano um, prior to prior to the surgery. I wasn't all that great, but I could do it, you know. Um, and then after the surgery, because I couldn't move very much, those abilities slowly uh, went away. Mm-hmm. And so that was extremely traumatic uh, for me, especially the musical piece of it. It's funny because it wasn't so much about just the overall strength. It was the ability to create music through instruments. Now I sing, uh, so I still had that, but that was probably the one of the biggest things that I missed. And, and I will tell you this much as well. People did not understand um, why I would always go to the music store. I would go to stores that sold instruments, and that's because guitars have a very distinct smell. Hmm. And while... I could not play the guitar anymore. The smell of a guitar would cause my muscles to tingle. It was like muscle memory. I would literally feel a tingling in my arms wow. when, um, in my arms and hands, um, when I would go, you know, to a guitar center or or any kind of music store. And so I would just go and hang out in the music store. Now it wasn't sad. It wasn't anything where it was like, oh, poor Lamandre. It wasn't anything like that. It was just me being in what I felt was my element and a reconnection with that. And honestly, it wasn't until recently that I actually started seeing a therapist. I started working through some of the issues. And what I found was many of those issues, while it was triggered by things like that, had no root in that. And so it's... um, it's interesting, and we can we'll talk more about this a little bit later on. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that that's been my experience, and and it really has shaped my perspective in a number of different ways. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, what I didn't realize going through surgery was how it triggered past trauma. I had no idea, but somebody had told me after the surgery that it triggers past trauma, and I was like. That makes so much sense because, you know, after the first surgery, I was like, what is going on here? Like, what is happening? And -hmm. somebody was like, it triggers past traumas. And um, you're right. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that recovery side of things and, you know, what it meant for the people around you, what it meant for, you know, um, what you were doing for work and how you were able to do that, maybe team members, colleagues, and things like that. Now, Melissa, I'm going to get to you last, but Richard, I'm going to go to you next. Now, I know you haven't necessarily had a surgery, but I know that you have uh, been in the loved one's role and has have experienced some trauma over the last 12 months. And the reason why we're coming together and bringing together all of these different conversations and stories and things like that is that emotional recovery is triggered from a variety of different things. So talk to me about your story. Yeah, thanks. You know, just <clears throat> listening to Dan, you know, talk earlier, brought back a lot of memories uh, for me. My father passed away uh, January of 2022 from cancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think back up, back in, into like June of 2021 when he was first diagnosed, uh, to be completely honest, when he called me, I, I kind of brushed it off a little bit, right? My dad was an owner operator. He drove a truck. He's a tough guy, you know, and we, you know, we didn't see each other growing up a lot. So it was, it was kind of weird. And I was in a bit of a denial with it. And I would, I would go over and see him like once a month. And I noticed how, how quickly things were changing that first month. Right. And, and it terrified me. And 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 what went from one week 
or from one month, went to every other week and then quickly turned to every week, quickly turned to I'm staying here through Christmas, through January, right? Um, and watching my dad go through that and watch him go through the chemo, the radiation and want to fight it, want to beat it. Um, it. And it was tough, you know, eventually, eventually it took its toll on him, you know, and uh, it's time for him to go home. Um, but, but for me, that was pretty traumatic going through that. And, and we talk about how it triggered things. My sister passed away when I was 21. She died in my arms uh, of a heart attack. And I, and it, you know, that was just uh, it's like 20 years come right back there watching my dad die mm-hmm. brings right back to my sister. Right. And, you know, you, people don't realize how trauma just kind of compounds when you don't deal with it and you don't talk about it and you don't go deal with the grief. Um, but for me, it was a, it was a really testing time, you know, to, really figure out my workspace. I had just been with a company for about a year and now I need to take off all of this time, right? To go take care of my dad. And, and guess what? I'm in sales. So that means I got to contribute. I have to contribute. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it, 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 it led a lot of feelings and, and even after my dad passed, you know, dealing with that and, and working through it, uh, it, it was tough. But, uh, you know, I go back to what Dan said earlier, you know, it affects everyone differently. Everyone is affected differently. And, and you know, I keep replaying that in my head because it was such a, a difficult time in my life, um, you know, just getting closer with my dad, but at the same time while he's going, right? Um, it was really tough to watch and, and really tough to go through. And it it really made me question a lot of things right after he passed. You know, it made me question relationships. I withdrew from people uh, because I didn't know how to, to articulate it. I didn't know how to process it. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll talk about the recovery. I'm so blessed. We'll, we'll talk about the recovery side of that. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it had a huge impact on my wife, on my kids, uh, you know, on my relationships with my friends. Um, and so, you know, even though I'm not the one going, you know, that physically went through that pain, I, I went through that with my dad as his caretaker in the end there. Um, and it's tough, you know, and sitting here again, I, I keep going back to Dan because I just heard his story and knowing everything he's gone through. I'm like, dude, you're a, you're my hero. Um, knowing how tough that is, that's, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, Lamandre, you have the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. I am officially signed up for your podcast. I don't know what else to say. I would just in awe listening to you speak. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. And I love that you've joined us for that perspective because exactly what Dan said, right? This is not just about any of us who have been through some of the surgeries, but it's also about the people around us and how it affects them. And you can, you are that voice for them on this particular episode for us to be able to talk through the recovery. How do we talk about it? How are we there for people? Um, And so we're going to get more into that. Plus I want to talk about, and you brought up a really good point is how does the workplace help with the aftermath? right? Of whatever that is, you know, whether that's recovery from the surgery, whether that's grieving because you've lost somebody, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what these conversations are really important. And what they're all about is because we need to start questioning some of these things that have been placed forever and whether they do fit people on an individual level, because we're all individuals. We all deal with things differently. And the more we know, means the more change and the more impact that we can make. So, Melissa, last but not least, please share with your, your story with us. I want to preface that I, I struggled with coming onto this show mm-hmm. 
probably didn't tell Sarah that, but I did. Nobody ever does. Um, but what I will tell you <laughs> is that you were brave enough to show up and you haven't left yet. Well, that's a good point. Um, so just to clarify for me kind of where I am, and then I'll, I'll go back and, and outline the journey. Um, August 15th of last year, I, I wrote an article on LinkedIn and it was the first time I, I'm going to say I came out to my LinkedIn family that I had cancer. I kept it extremely private, which we will discuss. And there were lots of reasons why. Um, and it wasn't until last month, uh, March of 2023, when I finally allowed a global publication to write about my cancer. And even more so, they wanted to use photos of while I was in the chemo chair, which was kind of like, uh, like this vulnerability. And then I will say that today, today is the first day that I have talked about this out loud in public. So this was like, like, a, ooh, like oh my gosh, anxieties. Um, my journey started in October of 2021 when I self-diagnosed myself for breast cancer. Um, in, Jan in October of 2021, it was the size of a cherry and it was aggressive and it took some difficulty to get into the doctor. I don't know why, um, but by January of 2022, uh, just a few months later, it went from the size of a cherry to the size of you know, a small fist or a small apple. Um, it was diagnosed as stage three and um, within four weeks, I did everything I possibly could to jump through the hoops, to get all the tests done so that I could immediately get into chemo. And I went into chemo uh, right uh, the day after my birthday on February 17th of 2022. Key milestones, I finished uh, two rounds of chemo um, in chemotherapy. I'm not sure if it was the same for Dan, but they have something called the red devil. It's a red liquid. It is so deathly to your system that you are only allowed to have it once in your lifetime. That's, that's how deathly it is to your system. Mm. And then from there, I went and did a round two, finished chemotherapy in July, had surgery August, um, finished out radiation um, in the end of October. And then because of surgery, I couldn't use my right arm. Like, mm. You know, right now I'm raising my arm so that my arm touches my ear, but I couldn't do that. I had to go to physical therapy and get my use of my arm back. Mm. And that finished off uh, December 29th of 2022. So I'm, I'm back to my, I still have to constantly do the, the at-home physical therapy, because if I don't, then I start to lose the momentum or the motion with that arm. Um, but for me, and, and I know we'll get into this. I, I have no genetic disposition for breast cancer and nobody in my history, we went back generations, no woman in my, my, my background has, you know, breast cancer. I don't carry the gene for it. We checked, but I'm one of those, you know, lucky one out of eight women that, that get it. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing your story. And mm -hmm. I want to reiterate how brave this episode how brave each and every one of you are for coming on this episode and sharing your stories with us and giving us the opportunity to have this safe space to be able to talk about it. Now, one question I did, uh, I do have for you, Melissa, and for anybody else who wants to jump in. Why did you keep it private? And when did you feel mm -hmm. like you wanted to share it with the world? or even with close family and friends. I mean, you know, that is 
one of the things, right, is when we are going through something challenging, is mm -hmm. that, you know, do we share? When do we share? How do we share? Who do we share with? Because not everybody is going to receive it as we want them to receive it. I was afraid. I was fearful of the reaction. I was fearful that I would be treated differently. Mm. Um, I was fearful that I didn't know how to answer the questions that I thought I was going to get because I didn't know even the questions to even ask myself. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you that nobody in my family knew until after the diagnosis. And even then it was my mom because she's in, in the healthcare industry. Um, the only people that we told, and I, this is the consulting brain was very strategic. I, I knew that, you know, we completely designed chemotherapy so that it would be on Thursdays. It'd be early in the morning before work. People at work didn't even know, you know, early on. Um, it'd be early on, you know, before work, um, downtime would be on the weekends, on the Saturdays, but my husband works on Saturdays, So I needed to find some places where my kids can go. So I strategically picked two parents who my kids play with. And I told them, but I also made sure to outline that I don't want their, I don't want them telling their kids. And I don't want anybody talking to my kids about, oh my gosh, my aunt died of, of cancer. Cause that's, that's completely horrific for my kids to go through for me personally. I was afraid of how people would react, mm -hmm. um, specifically at work. I didn't want to be treated differently. I didn't want to be taken off projects. I didn't want to be measured differently. But I will tell you that that was the wrong decision to make. Um, <laughs> I, I did end up uh, going directly to my boss um, as soon as I understood what my schedule was for chemo, told him um, the navigating, you know, we can talk about that later. Um, the one or two people I did tell, I was really surprised by their responses. One of them thought I was going to die and he wouldn't give me any projects or anything wow. <laughs> at all. Um, and then I, you know, had to talk to somebody else who was an executive and he was the absolute opposite. He joked that we were going to both have bald hair now. Um, and he was the best response that I could possibly get. And I think if I had not found him in my workplace, I would have had a much different experience. Do you see how important this conversation is? You had one person that got it and one person that didn't. Mm -hmm. And this conversation is important for, for both of those. It's important for the person that got it right to know that they got it right. And that's how they, they need to support somebody like that in that kind of position. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for the person who didn't. To understand I'm glad why you're thinking like that because I'm certainly not. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that. This is why we do blended, Melissa. You know, is to encourage those who are doing the right things and being an ally, but also to encourage other people who might not get it right that it's okay to not get it right. But this is what you need to think about next time. You know, right, Lamandre. Yeah, no, um, thank you for sharing that, Melissa. I will tell you that your experience in terms of disclosure or whether or not you let people know um, the journey that you're walking is a very common uh, mm -hmm. thing to think about it. Chaswick Bozeman, he didn't let anyone know um, except those who were very tight in his circle. And the people that he told, they were incredibly tight uh, with the information. But a part of that is the same reason that people like myself who have obvious disabilities don't necessarily like to disclose things, and that's based in ableism. And what do I mean by that? 
people do have a tendency once they perceive that there is that there is a deficit. And believe me, people view disability in many circles as a deficit, just like cancer or what have you. When the truth is, you are still very much, you still have the same talents, you still have the same skill set, you still have the same ability um, to achieve for the most part until you have identified that, okay, I want to do this differently. But people have a tendency to do that. And so what ends up happening is you can take that one or two ways. You can take that, well, no, 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 I'm going to show you that I'm going to make a difference or it can damage your psyche. It can make you think, well, maybe I am less than. And that's one of the reasons that if you notice in my introduction, I mentioned what my disability is and I'm a very proud person with the disability. Okay. I'm a very proud person with that. But I ended it with this. After I said my disability, after I said its effects on my body, I said, and my life is dope. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I made that declaration is simply because of this. So often people start hearing those things and they start to think, oh, 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 his life is not good. I'm so glad the comparison thing that we talked about. I'm so glad I don't have that experience because I don't know if I could do that. This is what people ultimately start to think. And I wanted to clarify, not a but, not in spite of, not a that. All of those things do exist and my life is dope. And so that is a part of the mental shift. And that's why I love the reaction from the executive who is like, okay, so this is the reality of it. And you might lose your hair, so we'll both have ball hit. You know what I mean? So that 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 is really... Lifting, But I will also tell you this, for the person that wanted to pull projects and those kinds of things, it's a conversation. Yeah. It is a conversation. If you're willing and ready to have that conversation, I'm talking about you as the individual dealing with the situation. If you're willing to have that, make sure you express that in your own time because you're already dealing with a lot of stuff. But, but, I, but, but that is truly the sentiment that's rooted in ableism that, okay, you're altered, you're different. Your life is less than you can't compete. You can't be a part of this world. Wow. Can I just give that a moment? Because like that was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that and for really, you know, showcasing at the end of the day, you know, if we have to do things a little bit differently because of like we could do things differently because of schedules, because people want to pick up their kids from school. It doesn't matter what it is. What it matters is that we create the safe space to have the conversations to say, what is going to work for you? You know, and you're right. If you can't have that conversation in that moment, it's podcasts like this, where you can say, go and listen to this episode because I can't talk to you right now. And it's not my job to teach you. Go and listen to this episode because I really think that you might want or you might learn something from it and help me to navigate my situation, navigate my thing through work or whatever that that looks like. You know what I'm saying? Thank you so much for that, Lamandre. Do you, do you also think that um, a reaction like the boss that wanted to pull everything away from you might have been a perspective driven? Um, and, and the reason I say that is, you know, um, maybe he or she had um, a family member that that got cancer 
and maybe they went downhill so quick or or maybe he just saw how much they needed to focus on themselves. And, and I ask you this um, mainly because when I was going through what I was going through, I wanted to still work and I wanted to still do my live show every day. I still wanted to to bring students in to help them get better at sales. And then I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who said, you know, Dan, you just you need to focus on you. And, and you will not get better unless you focus on your recovery and stop spreading yourself so thin. If you have to sleep for 14, 15, 16 hours a day, you got to do what you got to do. Like this radiation and chemo is, is literally destroying your body. Um, so I did. I, I backed off of my show for six and a half months. I didn't, you've got, I, nobody's seen a single post from me in over seven, eight months on LinkedIn or any other social platform. Um, I got two, two of my good friends to do my show for me. And I backed off and I just disappeared um, because I needed to focus on my health. And, um, you, you know, I, I hear the, the two bosses specifically um, in this case. And they say, you know, one of them might have just had a really bad perspective on what it was. And, and hopefully it wasn't a, you know, I'm pulling all of these these projects back from you because I think you're going to mess up. Hopefully it was I'm pulling them back from you because you need to focus on you right now. Mm-hmm. And just be with you, with you, with yourself, and your healing, and and your emotional peace. And you know, some people that is work, right? Work is like, okay, I need a release because if I sit in these four walls, I'm going to go absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. I need to work. And other people, um, they think they need to work, but what they really need to do is maybe go inward, start meditating, start really focusing on themselves. I don't know. The one thing that I've gotten out of this is perspective and a 360 degree view on everyone I'm speaking to. Mm. Like anyone I speak with, I I try and think from so many different angles now, um, you know, about, about, okay, well, what's the real meaning behind that? You know, like, how do you know, how do we really know what somebody's thinking unless we have the conversation? Mm -hmm. They might be acting out of fear they might be acting out of out of a multitude of different things. And now we feel caught in the crosshair um, when they, they they might just be looking out for us. Do you know what I mean? And in their own, in their mm-hmm. own special, in their own unique way, maybe not special way, but their unique way. Yeah. I, I will you, tell you that that um, individual, it ended up coming back to lack of awareness lack of um, understanding what cancer is like in the modern world versus what cancer may have been like even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I've discovered, you know, over the last year that more and more women specifically that, you know, more and more women are working through breast cancer, which I think was a bit of a shock and added to my own misunderstanding and myths and Mm -hmm. beliefs of what cancer like is for the, I'm going to call it the, the modern day cancer warrior. Right. And it's interesting. You know, I go back to, there's a Brene Brown uh, story that she shares about how she got into a fight with her husband one day at a lake. And the best argument that they've ever had is by sharing the story that they had in their heads. So she had a story about how he, how she looked awful in a speed or in, in her bathing suit. And his, the story in his head was, I had a nightmare last night that a boat came through and like killed everyone. And once they shared that with each other, they were able to be, to have the conversation, knowing where each person was coming from. 
And I bring that up because of what Dan said, right? Is that we don't really know what other people are thinking. We don't really know where they're coming from. We don't really know their perspectives. We don't know the story behind it. And we don't know the story that they're actually telling themselves in their head. And Melissa, you've said this a few times, right? My story was right. My story was wrong. My story was completely the reality versus the story in my head were different. And everything comes out in the story in your head. Lamondre? Yeah. And and, and I was going to say, I, thank you, uh, Dan, for that perspective. And, and thank you for filling us in with that. Um, Melissa, I think that, and that's why I said the conversation is, is so important. You have to have the conversation to understand the perspective. Now, as a person that actually, you know, lives through that, you as the individual that actually lives through that, even if people are trying to look out for you, particularly in a work sense, it is not up to you to do that. It is up for me to decide whether or not I can handle that. And I understand the care. I understand the concern, if that is the perspective that they're coming from. But because I now have things different in my life, that does not take away my agency. And that does not take away the opportunity for me to make decisions based on what I believe I can handle. It may change. Mm -hmm. It may change. It may be different. But still allow me that autonomy. Still allow me the agency of my own self to make that decision. Because so often those things are taken out of your hands when things become different. Yeah, the intention, you know, the the good intentions are there. But at the same time, you do take the autonomy away from the other person to be able to decide what is what is best for them. Um, and in a workplace, you don't really know people that well to be able to really make that decision for them. I mean, realistically, in any sort of circumstance, regardless of the good intention that's behind it. Richard, as a loved one, I want you to jump in here because... I want to hear from your perspective. Um, I also want to hear about how your your workplace or maybe workplaces in general um, have, you know, supported from a loved one's perspective or maybe what we want to see. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I'm like, the first person I was in denial with about my dad being sick was me, right? Like, and that was, that's a real thing. Like, I, like, it in my head, it wasn't real. It wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And when it finally was real, I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me. Right. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm trying to make myself and my career got a family, you know, come, I've come from where I've come from to here. I've done it. Right. And like, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. Um, and that was tough. You know, I held on to that for a while and that was, it was like carrying around an 800 pound gorilla, you know, missing emails, missing phone calls, doing this or that and the other. And then finally, I had a conversation with someone and told them what was going on and, and explained to some of my coworkers what was going on and like, I'm going to be gone and here's here's what's happening. And I started realizing like everyone is going, so everyone has someone that's going through something. Everybody's going through something all the time. And I didn't realize that that there was strength in my pain, that me being able to share what I'm going through with my dad and the pain that I'm going through when I'm sharing that with someone else is giving them hope in their situation, right? It's given them another perspective. And if I'm honest, I leaned in on it, not because I wanted to take advantage of it, but because look, I was born in March, I'm a Pisces, I'm in my emotions, I love it, it's all good, it's who I am. Um, but I said, this is an opportunity here, this thing hurts me and the only way to, to really work through this is to share it, get it off my chest, what am I feeling, what am I doing? And at the same time, 
I can find out what's going on with these other people in their life and figure out ways that I can help lift them up too at the same time. Because I mean, it's about lifting each other up, whether we're family, friends, coworkers, whatever it is. It's how can I help my brother and sister? You know, to me, that's the most fulfilling thing in life. But beyond that, it was, again, it was a struggle to let that out because I was so scared of people seeing me as lesser or that I couldn't do something or I couldn't complete a task at work. But once I did let go, it was pretty freeing. And then to realize that one of the guys I was selling to, his mom had died from cancer two months before that, right? And that didn't get the business granted, but, you know, for us to share that connection, that was more meaningful. And I told him that, that when we shared and we talked for an hour and a half and cried on the phone together as two grown men that didn't know each other, uh, what we went through, like that was a meaningful bond. And, 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 and we'll have that for the rest of our lives, what it meant to each other and checking in on each other. And from a work perspective, um, I, I'll have to say I was super blessed. I've been very blessed being at Intelligent Audit um, from a work scenario in that once I told my leadership what was happening with my dad, it was take as much time off as you need. Take it, whatever you need. You just go do it. We, we have it. Um, and I'll tell you, even one thing that even goes beyond that, I, my wife was working as a medical assistant while I'm, I'm working from home. I've worked from home for the last five or six years. I'm spoiled. But I'm going back and forth from Memphis to Little Rock to see my dad. He lived in Little Rock, you know, and these trips are getting getting more and more more often. And it was hard for her to leave work, do things with the kids because they were still in school, had still had you know high school age kids and taking care of the family. And uh, my CEO approached me and said, hey, let us hire your wife so she can work from home so that you can go focus on your dad. And I'm like, at first I said no. And then I did another week back and forth. And then I go, what are you doing? You're crazy. Like, like they just said, hey, you're struggling. We'll make sure that everything's taken care of. Bring her on. And to me, that's a, you know, that's a huge blessing. It shows the, the family dynamic in the workplace. Um, and, you know, the ice cream that, that was sent, you know, the food and things are nice, but getting the text, how are you? Or getting the text on the day that my dad passed away. Hey, I'm thinking about you today for my CEO. Like that's meaningful. You know, it takes something for another human being to do that. And I'll have to say that if I didn't have that mechanism, you know, it would have been tough. And I did go through a lot of tough times. There was a lot. Again, after my dad passed away, me just chasing thoughts in my head, thinking this person did me wrong. Because once we know you start talking to yourself in your head, the whole story just kind of unravels, right? You're, you're creating this thing in your head. And I had to deal with that. I had to unravel it to say, look, none of this really, really happened, right? These are all things that that you've thought about. These are all scenarios that you've played out that this outcome could be. But the reality is, is your dad passed away. It's okay for you to grieve. It's okay for you to be off work. It's not going to make you a lesser person. And for you to share that experience with others, like that, that's, you know, that can bring healing to someone. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. That's a, it's a really, really big point. Melissa, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I, I just want to make sure that I circle back to my workplace, um, sure. because if you look me up on LinkedIn, you'll know who I'm talking about. And I don't want to leave, I don't want to let this go. And with someone having this negative perception, um, I, I did, you know, I did work with my, my manager. I did work with HR. Um, honestly, if I, if I hadn't reached out to HR, this would have been a much different story but they were able to help me, you know, because my company is super, super big. Um, but they were able to help me understand that, hey, stop using your vacation time because you're, I was already out of vacation time within the first month. Right. Um, come to find out there's a benefit that we have, which is called sick leave. I had no idea about it. I don't even remember mm -hmm. it. But anything, they have a special designation on the timesheet. 
anything related to any of these meetings, um, just needing to to take a nap for an hour because of the 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 you know the experience I was going through. Yeah, they had an option that I could put that on my timesheet and it wouldn't impact me. Um, HR then went out and put me on what's called a no no work related travel, so that whenever projects came up. Um, no matter who was out there, they didn't have to know my own story. They just saw a little flag next to my name saying, hey, she can work on projects, but she can't travel. So, I mean, mm-hmm. all of these things, I think, is is where there was this underlying support, more of like an infrastructure. Yeah. And then and then I had folks, you know, and, and I don't know if, um, I don't, gosh, I don't know if Sarah knows this, but Sarah was the first person I told. Um, literally you were the first person I told on LinkedIn, no less through a message. Oh my God. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) What a great way to say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, it was slowly pulling in what Lamandre said about pulling in the people around you and, and, um, you know, there is the, the women leaders in data and AI, you know, the support that they gave me was being able to talk in, in a, in a private setting, Um, but they wanted to help me. And what I found was really cool is they went out and got me credit to like Uber Eats and Grubhub because the biggest issue for me is I had to eat certain foods to stay healthy. Mm. Um, you know, the proteins and I couldn't stand the smell of cooked meat in my house, but if I ordered it out and by the time it got to my house and it was cooled off, I was starving. I'd eat as wow. much meat as I could, but it was these little nuances and they recognized that. And so, yeah, I, you know, they weren't local and they could bake me something and bring it. And so they found a, another creative way. So I, I yeah. did eventually, you know, expand my network and talk to people and recognize that I needed help as much as my family needed help. And that, you know, as both Dan and Lamandre have, have talked about, that's when things I think became much more positive for me personally. Thank you for sharing that. And there, there, like you said, there's a lot of ways to be able to support by taking action in a variety of different ways, which I think we've done a really good job of talking about. And listen, we're not putting anybody on blast, but we do need to share the realities of, you know, how people perceive this, how their reactions could be. And we need to talk about whether it's good, it's bad, it's ugly. And, you know, how do we work through it? How do we make it so that it's better for the next person? So that, you know, they might not go through the spiral that you that you or I had gone through just because of a comment or something that somebody had said. Now, that brings me back to how do we talk about it? Actions are one thing to support, right? And to support loved ones through food and different things like that. But how do we talk about it? What do we want to have from a particular support standpoint from either loved ones or colleagues, people that we work with, managers, C-suite, you know, anything like that, that has a direct relation to our everyday lives when we're going through something like this? What does that emotional support, what does that look like for us? And what can people do to really help us through these kinds of things? Is it asking, like LaMondre, if you and I were to meet in person, are you okay with me asking? You know, I I don't know what the question would be. I don't know, like, are there certain questions that you get from people? Oh, yeah. 
And you know, are think... you okay with it? Like, how do we even ask questions? Like, and sorry, LaMondre, before you start, like even Dan, Dan and I hadn't seen each other in months and we saw each other on a Zoom. And I was like, Dan, what's going on? Because he looked so different from the last time that I had. And I don't know whether I handled that properly. I don't know whether that was the right way to support Dan. And Dan can answer that in a minute. But LaMondre, like, what are some of the questions? What are the things that we can do to show our support, ask the questions, have a conversation around? First of all, I think it's about relationships. I think it's about understanding the relationship. For example, there are people who I've never met before who don't know me from anything. And I've had situations where people would just start doing things. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. That's not really what I need. What I need is X, Y, Z. Or just ask. I think most people are open if you simply ask, can I help you? Or is there anything okay. that I could do? Or can I get that door for you? Or can I just simply ask and be good with the answer, whether they say yes or no, be good with that. You know, I've had, I've literally had people try and do something for me. And when I said, no, 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 I'm good. I got it. They'll stand there and still try to do it anyway. <laughs> and the problem with that is you mess them a flow up, man. Let me let me do my thing. I've I've got this. Um, so I think it it, it has to do um, with relationship. Number one, and this is the reason that I say it has to do with relationship. But there are also situations where people you know, you know they're struggling with things. You know they're dealing with things. You know that they're going through things. And sometimes that whole that whole call me if you need me. I'll be here for you if you need me. That's a tremendous burden to place on someone who's mm -hmm. already struggling, dealing with changes that they're dealing with changes that have fundamentally changed who they are. Mm -hmm. And so to put the responsibility on them to call you whenever they need you, they probably need you and they may not be able to articulate in what ways they need you, but just check in. Like you said, the text, Richard, you spoke about it. The text that says, Hey, I'm thinking about you from the CEO. Those little things mean so much. They make so much of a difference. And it takes the burden off of me having to call you and say, Sarah, I'm, I'm really struggling. I don't even know how to ask this. I don't know what to ask. I have no idea. But if Sarah just said, hey, man, I'm thinking about you. Or if Sarah just showed up, that can go a long way. But again, it's about relationships. And the reason that I say that is because it takes a certain level of bravery, but it also takes a certain level of vulnerability in order to, in order to really receive that or even extend that. And the truth is because we're so different because everybody has a different perspective because everyone has different approaches and they feel different. The truth is you have to be willing to deal with what comes after that, whether it's, uh, yeah, I definitely need the help. This is what I need. Or, nah, I'm good. That was a little bit intrusive. You know? So you have to that, be willing to deal with that. That is such a good point. And that vulnerability part. Because I have been, you know, in my head being like, should I go? Should I not go? Should I do this? Should I not do this? I don't want to be a pain in the butt, but I really want to help out. You know? And if I'm like that, I'm sure that like so many people have that going through their head of whether they should or they shouldn't and they should or they shouldn't. And they spend so much time in their head that they just don't do anything at all. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I'll tell you this. Just to give you a quick story, a quick example. I remember I was in, this is when I was in college, and I was in my chair, um, and I saw a young lady walking towards the door. It was a glass door. I was in my office. It was a glass door. And I saw her walking towards me, and she was a young lady with a disability as well. So the door is heavy. So I just went and pushed the door with my chair to open it so she could come in. And as she stood at there, I don't need you to open the door for me. That you you don't need to do that. And it was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, wait a second. I literally was just opening the door to be nice. I mean, because I was not blocking her in any way. She could have simply just walked on through. And it was the kind of thing that I learned that, you know, I'm a guy from the South, you know, so we 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 have this whole. You know, you open the door for people. If there's somebody walking up to the door, you open the door if you can. And so that's what I was doing. And it was just a situation where I just accepted her, her thing. And believe me, I never opened the door for her again. But other people, I continued to do that. So it is a part of just being willing to take what comes with it. You know? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, Lamondre, it, it was two words that come out of your mouth in the very beginning. I knew you're from the South. I mean, you hear me talk too. So like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I think about this, I, I, I for me as, as, as the caretaker, as the, the loved one on the other side, um, every opportunity that I wish I took, I took, uh, you know, I, 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 there were times that I didn't go. I wish I took it. Right. And if, if I'm talking to anybody on the other side now, you take every one of those moments, every single one of them, every single one of those sec- seconds, you know, no matter the ups or downs or whatever. Right. You want to take those. And um, when I didn't have the words to say, what can I do for you? I would just say, I love you. I don't know if that was the right thing. And I, and I do that with my friends today. Um, a lot of my friends will just randomly get a text that says, I love you. And it's because I genuinely love them. I'm a human and I love most people. I don't think there's anyone I don't love. I genuinely just love people. And, um, you know, and, and, and for me, because sometimes it is hard to ask, how can I help you? Right. Like, because I, I think of my best friend, he lost his eye two years ago in a terrible car accident. And, you know, I'm wanting to go over there, be with him all the time and help this before my dad passed away. And, you know, I'm always wanting to do stuff, but it got to the point where it's like, Hey, I got this. I just need to know you love me. You know, and I'm like, hey, I love you. You got that. That one's the easy one. Um, mm-hmm. And I found that, you know, again, that's something for me that, again, just wanting to reach out, just knowing they're there, because you never know when the person needs to know that they're loved or that might open up a door uh, to talk about something. Right. Because mm-hmm. when we're when we're when we're vulnerable, we'll share more things. Right. And who are we going to share with the people that we love? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, what? Um, how can people best support you? What have you found to be the best way? I mean, at the beginning of this conversation, you did say, you know, my circle's gotten smaller, you know, and so Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, what can people do? What have people maybe done that hasn't helped? Well, what was, what was big for us when we were going through it is trying to keep, uh, we say us. My my wife did everything because I was my Christine's my soulmate. She's the best person on the planet, and um, it was big for for us to make sure everything went on as as normal as possible. Um, you know, once we knew from a life perspective, I was good. Um, 
it was as normal as possible because it impacts my son differently than it impacts my daughter. My daughter's away at school and it was like, so meals. So we had a lot of friends cook us meals and bring meals over because we would be like, we were um, for close to 11 weeks every day traveling to an hour and a half, two hours to Princess Margaret Hospital, then coming back and if we were in traffic, then we're like three hours in traffic. And it was like every day for radiation, sometimes twice a day for radiation, then for chemo and then spending the night there because of my diabetes, I had to stay in the hospital overnight. So it was making sure that the kids weren't eating out of boxes, like box food. That was very big. Um, and something I started doing that I've never done in my life is calling on friends when I needed help. Mm. And um, it, it was such a blessing because I, I never realized how, like I'm always, always been a helper. My wife will be the first one to tell you, you call Dan, he drops everything he's doing and he goes and helps you. And for me, I, I love helping people. Um, never really putting into perspective, what if they enjoy it as well, right? It's kind of like that, you know, people at Christmas that just love to give. Um, what if other people love to give as well? No, I don't need anything. I just like to give, but maybe it makes other people happy to give. So just accept, allow things to come in. And um, it, that was probably the most amazing part is making a few, sending a few texts saying, hey, listen, like I'm up on my feet. I got like an hour and a half, but man, I need the garage clean because before winter, my, we want to put my wife's car in there. Can I get three or four guys? And like the garage is done in, in 30 minutes hmm. where it would take me because I, at that point, you know, November timeframe, I'd be able to get up for an hour, 30, 30 minutes to an hour. And I'd have to sleep for two. So I'd get up for 30 minutes. I'd probably move three things in the garage and I'd have to go to bed for two hours and get up. So it would take me three weeks, what took 30 minutes. And literally, like my friends were like, sit, tell us what to do, just point. And I was, and, and I, at first I was, um, felt useless because I've always been tied to the achievements I can, I, but I had to swallow that because it was, they were there to truly help mm-hmm. to make a difference. To, and it was like, and, and I mean, even to the point where one of them sweeping the floor and I'm like, okay, well, no, I'll just, no, 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 sit down, sit down. I got it. I got it. And, and, you know, and it was, it was awesome. And, and, and it was, to me, it was, um, you know, learning how to say, can I get some help was a little tough the first time, but once I realized that they enjoy it and, and it, it, it helps them feel better about themselves as well. Mm-hmm. right like like you go and help somebody you feel so much better about yourself you're like if you're at the worst place in your life go help somebody that's in a bad spot you'll always feel better about yourself and for us that was our circle our circle got tighter um we didn't lose anybody it just got tighter mm. and um and maybe that's a difference i probably should have clarified that um but it, it got tighter on on who we can we can trust and and you know Friends that we never um, thought would step up, stepped up more than anyone else. Wow. And um, it was, it was, I mean, blessing and, and we're so thankful and we're honored to have them as friends. And, and, you know, and, and you know what, it's, it, it's interesting because since then we've had a few of our friends go through something. Mm. And the first thing Christine and I did is make food and bring it. Mm-hmm. 
And it, it, something so simple, you know, a, a big, a big, beautiful pot of chili and just, you know, take it over with some nice fresh bread. And, and I mean, for me, I haven't eaten food since August of last year. Hmm. I've been eating through a G tube. I only got the go ahead to start eating last Thursday. So, um, you know, when it are comes gonna, to, are you going to go for a blooming onion? I, I, <laughs> he's darn right. I am. <laughs> yeah. And we're actually going out to, uh, we're, we're going out tonight for the first playoff game. And I, I think I'm going to try a poutine too. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes down. But I'll tell you when I had my first sour key and when I had my first, uh, uh, curry chicken with rice, it's like the best it's ever tasted in my life. And I keep going back to the old Betty Murphy delirious. It, if you're hungry, hungry, and somebody throw you a cracker, you're gonna be like, "Damn, that's the best cracker I ever had in my life." But um, you know, it's you just it, it's for for us, it became um so special mm-hmm. that you know friends would do that for you, and, and just knowing what you're going through, and and it was a time thing, right? Because it's it's not you know like my mom was like, "Well, I'll drive you to the hospital if you ever need help," and and Christine was like, Christine and I decided right at the beginning, this is we're stepping through this like each on each other's hip and and princess margaret was so good they let her come into every radiation treatment we got to give it we got to get a kiss before the radiation and then she got to leave and then come back and you know i i, I couldn't I have, I have a friend that went through this a couple of years ago in covid and his wife wasn't allowed anywhere near him in the hospital right and i couldn't imagine that i couldn't imagine that so it's all people at the hospital that just make you feel so special and and yeah. truly care and um, you really, you know, we think, and I'll give you the perfect example of this. I thought I was like, you know, how, how could God do this to me? How how could this happen to me? And I was feeling really down on myself one day. And we're, we're just outside uh, the nurse's station on the, the second basement floor where radiation is at Princess Margaret. And I'm, I'm feeling down on myself. I'm, I'm feeling like this is just, you know, like, what, what did I do to deserve this? Like, I've always been a very good person. Um, I always felt I helped people. And it's like, why? Why do I deserve this? And then I watched maybe a three, four-year-old child get rolled out, bald, and the parents standing, just each parent holding each of her hand as they walk by. And I went, really, Dan? Really? <laughs> like... <laughs> So now I feel bad because I'm, you know, but it's like, you realize, you don't, you never realize what's going on in somebody's life, mm-hmm. right? I remember we were driving to the hospital one day and I started throwing up violently in my wife's car. And I'm like, I'm scouring for my bag and I pull up the Ziploc bag and I'm throwing up and throwing up and throwing up. And it was like, it was the worst thing ever. And we're in traffic and Christine starts like whipping in and out of traffic to get me to the hospital faster. She almost pulled over and flagged down a cop to, to, to bring us in. And I, I kept thinking in my head, I wonder what those people are thinking mm. that we're weaving in and out. And all Christine is thinking is my soulmate is like, I'm like crying. I've, I've got, I'm covered in, in vomit and she's trying to get me to where I'm going to get help. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a, it, I, I couldn't imagine how many people were pissed off in the wake, right? But but just give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Like just please, if if you're out there right now and you're and you're you're frustrated at something, just understand we have no idea what's happening in somebody's life, and and we all have 
brain farts, but there's there's times it's not everybody that cuts you off in traffic is not because they woke up late. Right. And they're late for work. Like, like so there's true. other reasons why. And that that was probably the biggest perspective shift for me in well, all I, of it is is we have no idea. Yeah. And I think the other part of it and part of what you just said too is that there's a lot of shame on both sides. Like there's some shame stigma on both sides that we all have to wade through. And I think it's conversations like these that bring it up to the surface of how people see shame, how they feel shame, how, you know, how different situations will cause shame, not only on one side, but also on the other and how we're so far apart because we don't talk about it and we're not open about it and we're not sharing about it. And we don't create enough safe spaces necessarily for each other in our lives to be able to talk about it so that we can break through the shame. And I think that's, you know, really something that I hope people are going to take out of this conversation too, is that we need to break through it. It doesn't need to stay. It doesn't need to be part of our lives. It no. doesn't need to be part of our mental health. No. But, but and if you've been through it, through it, if you've been through it, um, you, you, and once you open up about it, you lose that shame. I find anyways, the, the more I talk about it, the less I, I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it's soothing. Yeah. Um, it's part of my mental health strategy is talk about it. And, and if I can help one person change their perspective, I've done my job, but you know, I looked at it and I, and I said, well, at first it was, you know, I'm um, kind of ashamed to talk about it. And now it's at a point where if it, if it, if it bothers you, then just don't listen. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and not to sound like an arsehole like that, but, but really, um, this is part of my story. This is part of what I've been through. And and listen, our experiences create our perspectives. Yeah. And like they shape that's... who we are. They shape who we 1, are. A thousand percent. Lamondre? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I was thinking about this shame perspective. <clears throat> I just had this conversation with a friend um, last week. And what we talked about was how shame is always attributed to something that should be secret. And I'm not saying that people don't know it. It could be something that everybody knows, but it's something that we still perceive as it should be secretive. It should be something mm. that's private. So when it's known, that shame is attached to it. Even when it's unknown, there still may be shame attached to it. But when it becomes familiar, when it becomes something that's known and out there, that does exactly what Dan just said. For some reason, it bleeds the shame or the stigma to it um, away from it. And... That is really an empowering, uh, empowering piece of the puzzle. And I'll tell you, I've seen this play out in so many different ways. I actually know parents who may have children um, who have various disabilities, whether they be physical, intellectual, or whatsoever, but they never talk about that child or never say anything about that child. And in an instance, they realize once we started having the conversations that it's rooted in shame. Mm. Nothing that they did, nothing that the child did, but... They're ashamed in some right. way, shape, or form. So the idea was to work through that. And um, and honestly, again, it's that concept that there is something wrong, that there was something broken, that there is something missing, that there is something less than. And we do live in a culture where particularly, um, particularly people feel like if you can't do what everybody else does, if you can't do it in the same way that everyone else does, 
if a man can't lift heavy things, he's not a man. You know, if 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 you know, if 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 a woman does not do things that are traditionally assigned to assigned to women, then she's less of a woman. Having we children. have to break that. Right. Right. If 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 a woman cannot have children, she's less than a woman. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, my father uh, was a professional football player and I could never play football. And it was the kind of thing whereas Every boy wants to make his dad proud. Every boy wants to know that his father uh, looks looks at him and say, yeah, he's got this. Well, you know, my father was involved in the epitome of what is considered masculine, and his son could never do that. And so I had to work through. Mm. I had to work through the trauma that that caused uh, in my life. And I think that so many of us have to work through that. But once you deal with it, there is a level of empowerment. There is a level of awakening. And for me, anyway, I've always wanted to then usher people into that space because there's peace, there's serenity, and there's a confidence that comes from, you know what? I'm straight just like I am. And my value is not diminished because of this situation. Hmm. Oh, man, I tell you, this these episodes, like every single time, I'm... I get tears, magic happens, you know, we create this conversation and I'm so, I'm so in awe with all of you. Now, Melissa, I'm going to take your last thought and then we're going to wrap this up with one final thing you'd like the audience to take away Mm -hmm. from this conversation with. Now, I, I am going to let everybody know we totally went off script. I think I asked the first question and I didn't bother with the rest. (laughs) And that's just what happens on these blended episodes as we sort of go where the conversation takes us. And I'm so glad that we did today. So Melissa. I want to echo some of the things I heard from the other the other individuals during when I had cancer, you know, last year, and I, and I did tell somebody the first thing I got was, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I kept hearing the word, sorry. And what I noticed is, you know, going back to Dan's comment about the the people that he got, you know, connected and, and got tighter the individuals that I did tell who didn't say that, who then, well, what can I do to help you? Or how can I help you? Or what do you need? Those are the ones that became more of not just the inner circle, but the other layers around me. Um, I also did a lot of thought about what LaMondre said in you know this past year about culture. Um, I think culture and how we've created this, um, there's something called a similarity um, attraction paradigm where we treat people differently if they're not like us. And that's an underlying thought that I, you know, I look at that when I, when I talk about data, but I never thought about that principle when I looked at myself and how people interacted with me. Um, And then in my closing thought, just in case you don't come back, it's interesting, Lamandre, you mentioned word value, because in the very first article that I said I wrote on LinkedIn, where I you know, exposed myself for the first time to everybody, the very last statement I wrote was, in other words, my value and contributions were not diminished because of my diagnosis. And that's the one thing that I wanted to make sure that no matter what anybody thought about me, that I put that in bold italics at the very end, very big. Um, because that was the underlying message that I needed people to understand. Thank you so much for that. And it doesn't define you. 
right? That's really the message that you're saying. And I, I appreciate you for sharing that. Lamandre, what's the one thing you'd like everybody to walk away with? I think the one thing that I want everyone to walk away with is that, is that we're all human. We're all human. And with our differences, with our differences of perspectives, our differences of abilities, the different way that we view the world, we are all having this experience together. So very much like Dan said, consider the other perspectives. And you know what? Give a little wiggle room. Give a little wiggle room for people. There is, there is something to be said for how it seems like kindness has been diminished significantly recently. Well, I'm an advocate uh, for kindness. I'm an advocate for extending grace and mercy to others um, because we all need it. We, 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 we absolutely all need it. And honestly, I think that if we do that, we'll see an increase of community. We'll see an increase of family. We'll see an increase of the recognition that, you know what? We all need to occupy the space together, and we might as well do that harmoniously. So mm -hmm. that would be it. Be kind to each other. Thank you. And getting away from societal norms that were created by people that, you know, don't even exist anymore. Why are we conforming? Let's not. Let's ask some mm -hmm. questions. Dan. Oh, um, final thought. Oh, okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I love all of it. I would, I would go so far as to say, whatever you're going through, whoever you are, there's no shame in, in talking about it at all. I mean, you look at everything the world's experiencing today. Um, there's somebody out there that if you just have the conversation, like Sarah started it with, she had the conversation with somebody, this person saw something saw somebody and all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this is this is the person I gotta see for a cure. It's it the conversation's everything. Two pixels of separation. Have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I could say in until I'm blue in the face, don't be ashamed. Try not to be ashamed. Um everybody's been through something. And if they don't understand how their story might be able to help you, you'll never understand how your story can help somebody else until you put it out there. Absolutely. Let's empower each other. Thank you, Dan. Last but not least, Richard, again, you've got the final word. <laughs> the final word. Love your brothers and sisters. We don't know what anyone's going through on the other side. Whether our parents are sick, our children are, we're sick. You really have no clue. Um, you know, so all we can control is our responses and those and, and our response in all areas should be love. Because again, we don't know what different people are going through and it's tough. And and man, Lamandre, grace, I am thankful for grace. Man, I've got a lot of it in my life. I've been blessed with it and I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, I'm around people that give me grace now uh, with things and it's and it's grateful and, and it's reciprocal, right? Um, you know, don't think that just because uh, you reached out and, and it didn't get responded in the way that you expected, you had your expectations up. That's the problem, right? Just love them for who they are and what they are and find your opportunities to lift them up. Um, that's that's really the best thing I can take for this is just, again, you know, we're all a community uh, of, of humans at the end of the day. Um, and we all have needs that that need to be met, air and food and everything in between. Um, so why can't we do this very harmoniously? Because there's a lot of diverse people that are on this call. Mm -hmm. 
That is so true. Thank you all so much. I want to just point out how much bravery and strength it takes to be in a conversation like this, especially one that's being recorded and one that's going to be showcased to the world. And let me tell you, that was a tough one. I mean, this topic is so personal to me. And even after nearly three years of doing Blended, I'm still surprised by how honest and authentically our guests share with us. And it makes me just so proud. The insights that come from having these conversations are truly invaluable, especially for something like emotional recovery, surgery recovery, that as we've learned can really lead to loneliness, poor mental health, and a feeling that people just don't understand. So although this may not seem like the most obvious diversity discussion, I really hope that it's been helpful, you know, for those struggling, for friends and colleagues looking for ways to help, and for organizations looking to better support all of their team members with whatever life throws at them. Don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything that you'd like to add or to what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again for next month's episode of Blended. Thank you, Melissa, Dan, Richard, and Lamandre for joining me today. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you.